Welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Amen. Well, hey, good morning again, and uh, it is just so great to be back with you after some time away, and I'm just really excited to be able to share uh, just for some things I feel God's put on my heart, and so we'll kind of be sharing some things over the next several weeks. But again, it's just so so great to be back with you. Just a heads up, there is one part of the sermon uh, that is rated PG-13, so I'm trying to look around here. If there's, so if there's any younger kids, you might want to check them into Vine Kids or um, uh, Little Ones, or you might get an awkward question after the service, just a little uh, heads up. But um, we're starting a, a new series today. Just a heads up. But we're starting a new series today on Jesus as the revelation of life. Have you ever wondered what your life should look like? I know I sure have. And I've wrestled with that different ways and uh, different points in my life. Uh, but I, in particular, I remember as a college student really wrestling with this question, wondering how should I live my life? And, and, and what's life about? And, you know, like what matters? What should I be pursuing? What kind of life is truly life? And these are perennial human questions, of course, and, and we can all wrestle with these. But I believe that in our cultural moments, these questions are accentuated because there's just so much swirling around us. There's so much happening. There's so much information coming at us that at times it can feel overwhelming, right? But we're left with this question, what should our life look like? If we want a life that is fulfilling and meaningful and truly human and sane, and I want to suggest that we need a compass to help us navigate this, to, to point the way forward. And I want to suggest, spoiler alert, <laughs> that this is found in Jesus, that he is the revelation of life. And, and I'll say more about that in a moment. But in contrast to this, a common approach uh, today is what I like to call DIY spirituality. Uh, you know, I'll take a little of this, you know, I'll take a little of that, and like this, I don't like that. I, you know, I like, I like this part of the Bible. Uh, I don't like that. Uh, you know, fill in the blank. Now, the problem with, with this approach to life is that people always end up with a God who looks just like them. But it's sort of like a kind of a, a 2D cardboard cutout God. Not like a 3D, multi-dimensional, robust, complex God who actually has the ability to challenge them and change them. Now, here's the PG-13 portion of the sermon. So this summer, I, I read an article in Psychology Today. I like to read widely. I read an article in Psychology Today entitled, okay, Sex, Robots, and the End of Civilization. Happy Sunday. <laughs> the article is written by a psychologist who is summarizing the research of a number of psychologists who are deeply concerned about this new technology. And it's actually, it's already here. It's kind of in more rudimentary form, although they're already using like AI and all this crazy stuff, but they are saying that it's coming in incredibly realistic form in only a decade or two. And so these psychologists who, by the way, these are just secular researchers and scholars are deeply concerned. And one reason, one concern they have is this, they say, imagine this, a totally realistic robot of your own design that is capable of doing basically anything you want. 
He'll just affirm you in anything he wants. not going to challenge you in anything. Uh, and, and so think of this. One of the things these researchers are pointing out is that if that option is on the table, that has the potential to dramatically reduce people's motivation to work on relationships. Because if you have this path of zero resistance that feels realistic, why do the hard work of relationships? Why work on the problems in your marriage? Do you see the problem? So they're concerned that this could actually be catastrophic for intimate relationships in our society. Now, let me apply this. If having an intimate, quote-unquote, partner who is basically just a mirror of your desires, your wishes, your thoughts, your impulses, how much more, if that's problematic, how much more problematic is it to have a God who's basically the same, just a mirror of what you like, what you want, these kinds of things. And so I just want to suggest that's a really big problem. Now, I could go on. But I want to just suggest this morning that we need a source of revelation from the outside to come in and to guide us into life. John, Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. He didn't just come to bring truth, he did, uh, but he also came to bring life and to be life and to guide us into what life should look like. And here's been my experience that when I've tried to just rely on my own best thinking, that I've wound up in the ditch just kind of time and time and time again. But that in Jesus, I've found life, true life. And that's what he invites us into. And so in this series, we're exploring different facets of what life should be like as revealed in Jesus, both through his life and through his teaching. Now, of course, this series is brief, so we have to be a bit selective, but each week we'll look at an important facet of the life that Jesus invites us into. Now, in our culture, there is a huge emphasis on image, right? On externals. And so when we think about life in our culture, that's what we tend to focus on. I mean, our culture is totally obsessed with appearance and image, uh, how you look. And if you're beautiful, then you're considered uh, bright and you're considered the best, which leaves most of us not the brightest and the best. Uh, but the Bible says actually that God really couldn't care less how you look. He's not into appearance. Uh, he couldn't care less actually about your achievements, your accomplishments. He isn't interested in how educated you are or how wealthy you are or how many Instagram followers you have. Uh, he doesn't care how popular or how famous you are. What God cares about is not your image, but your heart. The Bible says in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and in, in verse 7, it says, people look at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, which we read a moment ago, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This is a verse from Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, which is actually one of the most famous and influential pieces of literature in like all of human history, a powerful teaching. Uh, and in this section, what Jesus is really talking about is what life looks like uh, in the kingdom of God. And he's saying, if you want to know what life should look like, true life, it is a life characterized by purity of heart, purity of heart. But, but, but what does that mean? Because, I mean, this is not language we use every day, right? And, and, and this word purity to, to our culture's ears, it sounds kind of weird, right? It sounds, I don't know, antiquated. It sounds Victorian. It sounds maybe prudish. Our culture would probably be more likely to say, bored are the pure in heart. Uptight are the pure in heart, right? 
That'd be more our, our culture's take on this. But Jesus would say, actually, you've got it all wrong. If you want to know a life that is truly life, this is actually foundational. Now think about this. On the one hand, our culture is averse to talk of purity or anything like what we're talking about today. It sounds antiquated. It sounds Victorian and so forth. Yet on the other hand, in in many areas, our culture recognizes the value of purity. So so think with me. Uh, Would you rather drink pure water or contaminated water? I'm going for pure water. I'm not going for Chernobyl water, H2O, you know. I'm going for the pure water, right? Okay. Um, if someone were to give you a piece of gold jewelry or, or a gold watch, would you rather it be pure gold or just kind of like some like low-grade alloy with some tin and, I don't know, some other kind of metals mixed in? Well, pure gold, right? I'm going with the pure gold. And actually, our society is so concerned about some forms of purity that we actually have an entire department of the federal government whose job it is to ensure that what we eat and consume by way of medication is actually to a certain level of purity. It's called the FDA, right? The Food and Drug Administration. That's their job. Now, but sadly, our standards of purity are not always what one might hope. I want to read to you a a few samples of federal guidelines for some familiar products. Actually, uh, Get this from a book by John Ortberg. I reread this summer. But here's the first one. Apple butter. If the mold count is 12% or more, if it averages four rodent hairs per 100 grams or more, if it averages five or more whole insects, not counting mites, aphids, or scale insects per 100 grams, the FDA will pull it from the shelves. Otherwise, it'll go right on to those English muffins. Coffee beans, so coffee drinkers beware. Coffee beans will get withdrawn from the market if an average of 10% or more are insect infested or if there is one live insect in each of two or more immediate containers. One container is okay, apparently, but with two or more, they draw the line. Mushrooms. Mushrooms can't be sold if there is an average of 20 or more maggots of any size per 15 grams of dried mushrooms. Less than that, it's all good. Hot dogs, you do not want to know. <laughs> you just don't want to know. All this to illustrate that intuitively we recognize in so many areas of life that purity is actually a good thing. And if there's something really good, we long for it to exist in its pure form, right? So think of, you know, I want to breathe pure air, right? Pure oxygen, not, uh, you know, contaminated with exhaust fumes, right? And so I I think that's something we intuitively get, but the Bible tells us that actually the same thing is true for people, for human beings, for you and I, that purity actually matters. And, And the point of this message is just that Jesus reveals to us, both through his life and his teaching, that purity of heart is actually essential for a flourishing human life, for the life that God intends, because to be pure of heart is actually to be purely human. Now, I know that at this point, some people might get a little nervous. So before we unpack what purity of heart really means, let me just say a word about what purity of heart does not mean, okay? So first off, it does not mean sinless. It's not mean perfect. doesn't mean you don't make any mistakes. Otherwise, we would all be out of luck, right? Uh, Because we all blow it. 
Uh, it doesn't mean perfect because if you have to be perfect and never do anything wrong, then none of us would, would be able to experience purity of heart this side of eternity, okay? So Jesus isn't talking about being perfect here, okay? So what does purity of heart mean? Well, the word purity means single. It means unmixed. So so the core idea here is singleness of heart. It means to be single-minded, undivided. And in one place we see this very clearly is in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 8, where it says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So in other words, what we see here is that purity of heart is actually the opposite of being double-minded. In other words, purity of heart is a matter of being single-minded. It's single-mindedness. Now, last week, Greg uh, made reference to a, a 19th century, I believe, uh, Danish philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard, who, for my money, has one of the coolest names ever. And by the way, if I ever have a son, there's a good chance I'll try to name him Soren. My wife might veto that, but I will try um, just, we'll see. Um, <laughs> anyways, Kierkegaard wrote a book called Purity of Heart. And what he said was this. You can put the quote up. There we go. Purity of heart is to will one thing. And I think that really captures what Jesus is talking about here. Purity of heart is to will one thing. It is to be free of, of duplicity, of double-mindedness. It's not being pulled in a thousand different, different directions by your heart. It's to have a singular focus, a singular aspiration. That is purity of heart. Now, of course, in a fallen world, we tend to not have a pure heart, right? And we tend to be pulled in lots of different directions. We have conflicting loyalties and aspirations, and, and our life is fragmented. For example, I want to be healthy. I want to be in shape. And I want donuts, I'm just saying, so I kind of have this double-mindedness with respect to my physical health and my eating habits, and anyone feel me? I mean, I can't be alone here. But let me bring this a little closer to home. Suppose you, 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 you really want to be close to God. You really want a thriving relationship with Him, but you also just really want to binge watch that new show on TV. And suppose that you end up just spending hours and hours and you ne- on that and you just never have any time to pray. That is an example, that is a picture of a divided heart. Does that make sense? So, so if that's the condition of your heart, if your life isn't integrated by one thing, it is therefore fragmented and you might have many things in your heart, but they're pulling you in different directions. And, and, and God in his kingdom might be one of those things that's in your heart, uh, but if it's not the primary thing that's giving order to everything else, again, you're being pulled in all these different directions. But to have a pure heart, on the other hand, is to be integrated. It's to be free of conflicting loyalties. And so in that scenario, you still do all the things you do. It's not to say you only pray all day. So you still, you know, you still go to the bank. You still parent. You still uh, wash your car, whatever it is. You do all the things you do, but you bring them under the umbrella of your love for God and his kingdom so that that gives order to everything else. So that suffuses everything else. And your aspirations for God become involved in your aspirations for everything else. And and your aspirations for everything else become part of your aspirations for God. And in that way, you become a person who seeks first God's kingdom. So whether you're, you're mowing the lawn or 
you're at work or you're coaching a softball team or, you know, whatever it is you're doing, listening to music, it's all kingdom. You integrate God into everything and everything into your relationship with God. That is having a pure heart. Now, I'm going to date myself a bit here, but does anyone remember the early 90s movie, City Slickers? Anyone remember that? Billy Crystal? Okay, good. Okay, I'm not alone. Okay. So in the movie, uh, Billy Crystal, he plays a kind of confused, dissatisfied 30-something guy. Uh, he's turning 40 soon, so this is... Um, anyways, tits too close to home. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> but he has this vague sense that his life is passing him by, and 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 he and his buddies, they go on this this kind of this... I don't know how to describe it, kind of like a dude ranch trip or something. And Jack Palance plays this old leathery cowboy who's, you know, wise to the ways of the world. And and he asks Crystal, Palance asks Crystal if he would like to know the secret of life. And Palance says, it's this, holding up one finger. And Crystal replies, the secret of life is your finger? Palance says, it's one thing. The secret of life is pursuing one thing. Now, the writers of the movie, they, they must have been reading Jesus or Kierkegaard or something. But somehow, you know, this deeply resonates with Crystal's character. And so his life is you know, it's scattered. You know, he's torn between his obligations to family and, you know, his desire for career advancement and, and his desires for security on the one hand, yet his desires to find excitement in life on the other. So his life is about all these different things. But as a result of that and being pulled in all these different directions, he feels like his life is therefore just kind of about nothing. And, and so often we struggle with that. But what Jesus is telling us here is that if you want to know what life should be like, it is this. It is a life characterized by purity of heart. It's a life of complete devotion to God. It's a life with an undivided heart that's free of conflicting loyalties. A life in which everything else in your life is integrated under your love for God. That is purity of heart. And so that's what purity of heart means, but there's a promise attached to this. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for what? For they will see God. Now, what does it mean, they will see God? Uh, Jesus is telling us uh, that people whose hearts are pure in this sense, they're the ones who get up close and personal to God. And by the way, Alma, if you could get our... My lovely wife, that'd be great. She's going to share a testimony. I have to pull her from the children's ministry. So anyway, so what does it mean that they will see God? Jesus is telling us that the people whose hearts are pure in this sense, that they are the ones who get up close and personal with God, that they get to experience the presence of God. They get to feel the power of God. They get to know the purpose of God for their life, that that they get to live in the peace of God. These are the people who actually really have it. And throughout the Bible, we, we, we read that seeing God is actually considered the best thing there is. That's what makes heaven, heaven. It's, it's the highest reward. It's the greatest hope because to see God is to see the source of all that is good and true and beautiful and wonderful. To see God, to have an intimate face-to-face relationship with him, there is nothing better. There is nothing better. So purity of heart is far from a buzzkill. This is actually where we find life and that's the promise for those who have purity of heart. Now, don't you want that? Don't you want to experience more of God in your life, to, to see him more clearly? I know, I know I do. But if we want that, what that calls for actually is purity of heart, an undivided mind. And Jesus says God blesses those who are pure in heart. 
Now, one thing I, I want to make clear that that seeing God, that this is not something we earn by anything we do, uh, that the Bible makes very clear that we can't earn God's love or, or merit God's love, that it's mercy, that it is always a gift. And the only reason that we can see God is because Jesus was single-minded and laser-focused on going to the cross, that we might be reconciled to God. That's the only reason this is possible. Salvation is always by grace. But once we receive this new life from Christ, we are then called to grow in it. And I want to read to you from 1 John chapter 3, uh, verses 2 through 3. And there John says that we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. And what that means is that we have a role to play in this. We have a role to play. So before wrapping up, I want to briefly explore how can we take a next step toward purity of heart. So I think the first step is simply honesty. Just honestly reflecting on where is your heart this morning? And is it divided? And if so, where where, where are those fault lines and then just being honest with yourself and, and honest with God about that, just acknowledging that to him, uh, asking his forgiveness and asking for his grace to really change your heart. I often pray the lyrics of an old vineyard song, vineyard song and the words go like this, change my heart of God, make it ever true. Change my heart of God, may I be like you. So you might want to pray a prayer like that this morning. And in a moment, we're going to have a time just to kind of do business with God in, in silent prayer And you can just express whatever's on your heart to him. But really the first step here is just to honestly acknowledge where your heart is before God and to invite him into that. But the second thing I just want to encourage you is just to ask God, what's one thing I can do this week to take a step toward purity of heart? What is is one thing I can do? Sometimes we think, oh my goodness, I'm just so conflicted. I don't even know where to start. Just ask God, what's one thing I can do to take a step in this direction? Now, just to kind of encourage us and kind of give us an imagination for uh, what this might look like. I, I want to invite up my amazing wife, Ansley, to share just a testimony of how she became aware of how there's some dividedness in her heart and mind and how she took just a simple step that really freed her up to love God more. And so please join me in welcoming up Ansley. <laughs> Hello. Um, here's my story. Um, so... For quite a while, I, I've been aware that my phone is a big distraction to me. Um, like many of you, I have a lot of projects going on. You know, last year we moved the church into this space, so there was like 18 million projects to do, and, you know, I needed to find a solution for this and a solution for that. And um, I'm a Girl Scout leader, so, um, you know, every week I'm thinking of you know, ideas for Girl Scouts and children's church, children's ministry, thinking of ideas. Oh, I wonder if anyone's written a book on that. Or, um, you know, uh, I have an idea for a craft. I wonder if Michael's has this and how much it costs. And so I was, it was like this constant, constant flood in my mind of ideas that I would then want to look up right then and there because I could, because it was on my phone. And, um, so honestly, it was like, um, it was like I didn't have my, I, I didn't have my, my brain to myself. I was just, it was this constant flood and this impulse to look up. And if it wasn't a creative idea, then it was the news or I could check social media or there was just constantly something to be checking, 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 checking. And, um, it was driving me crazy. I felt 
guilt, like, ugh, I don't want my kids to see me on the phone all the time. And I would explain, like, this is for church or whatever. And <laughs> ah, and I'm like, ah, but why can't I just sit here in line at the doctor's office and not be doing that? I, it was like this compulsive need. So in a very Lenten moment, um, I think it was probably in Lent, March or something, um, I erased my uh, internet browser off my phone. And actually, it's kind of funny. Michael tells me it's still there, but I don't know how to do it. So I, I, forgot, me- the, I forgot the passcode. I'm sorry. <laughs> so to me, it's gone. And um, I can't even tell you what freedom this has brought into my life. It is, I feel like I have my brain back. And... Um, and, 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 the, and it goes really deep too, because I felt like this divided mind, this like scattered mind was leading to a divided heart. And, um, where I was just like everywhere and nowhere. And, um, and so now instead of checking, 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 I don't even have that option. It's just, I can feel myself being aware of my feelings throughout the day. I can be aware of God's presence. My, my, I naturally turn to prayer instead of like anxiously checking the news or checking something. And, um, and because of that, kind of an unexpected uh, fruit of this is that um, my time with God is able to be so much richer in the morning. Because whereas before I would have this like backlog of thoughts to think and feelings to feel... I'm aware of them now throughout the day. So now I can just come to God with my heart and I don't have to start like way back, you know, when I should have been thinking and feeling, you know, way, way long time ago. I'm ready to, I know what's on my heart and I know what, um, I'm ready to bring before him in the morning. And, um, it's like very, it's been very transformative. So yeah, that's my story. Thank you so much for sharing, honey. Isn't that encouraging? Yeah. So I hope just that, again, that gives you just an imagination of what this could be like. It could be something very simple that God might want to use. And I don't know what that is for you, but again, we're going to take a moment just in silent prayer, um, just to just to kind of do business with God and just to uh, uh, reflect and seek Him. Uh, and I'll just invite the band to come back up. But um, let me just close with this thought. Um, Every summer, uh, Ansley loves to declutter our house. <laughs> she likes to go through everything, and and you know, and she if she finds something that really we don't need, like it's just not doing any good, you know, we either give it away or or sell it or, or whatever, and and you know, things that are a hindrance are just taking up space, just needlessly. And so here's my question: What if this summer, as we transition and and prepare for a new season together, what if we took time to kind of declutter our hearts? What if we ask God to just kind of cleanse and just remove those things that are taking up needless place in our hearts? And what kind of freedom might that open up for us? What kind of avenues for life in him might that open up? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, um, we just recognize that you are the one who truly has purity of heart. You're the one in whom there is life. And we want that life more, God. But Lord, so often we struggle with divided hearts. And so we pray, God, that you would just cleanse us of those things that pull us from our love for you, God. Would you give us grace, just first of all, for awareness of what's even going on with our hearts, but secondly, to just come to you now, God, with open hearts, 
and to follow wherever you lead. We thank you for the hope we have in you, God. Amen. Amen. We're going to take a moment just in uh, silent prayer and reflection, and then in a bit we're going to come to the table and just celebrate communion together. And so this is also a time when uh, Christians, since the earliest days of the church, have taken a moment just to confess their sins to God and just to be cleansed afresh so that they can come to the table, we can come to the table with joy in our hearts. And so if the Lord just reveals to you anything to confess to him, you can do that now. And there's a classic prayer in your bulletin you might want to pray. And then we'll come to the table together. Let's take a moment in prayer.